All right, this is AP and Spence, two lawyers talking college sports and sports law in general. It is a beautiful June day here in sunny Portland, Oregon. How are you feeling today, AP? Feeling wonderful, man. It's Father's Day weekend. It's bright blue, sunny outside in Oregon, uh, which is, I mean, just gorgeous June weather. And you know what else is really heating up right now, Spence? What's that? The Arizona State Sun Devils. Oh, goodness gracious. I mean, I, I was I, I about fell out my chair when I read about what was going on down there. And they are in some hot water, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's coming out of the woodworks. I mean, we've got dead period issues. We'll talk about it. We've got recruiting issues, football problems, Herm Edwards. It's coming out. I mean, the, the, if this was a car and one of the wheels is kind of rocking, another one's a little bit flat, the wheels are off at this point, and it's just a chassis kind of grinding with sparks down the freeway. The Oregon State AD, David Shaw from Stanford, yeah. all have all have made public statements, which typically is not done, right? Yeah, you normally don't. Uh, if it's like, let's say you have some knucklehead coach that goes a little rogue in a situation, you're like, oh, okay, just let's handle that in-house. Just you know, But this is a, like a structural, and there's evidence. Vic Denardi at the NCAA is the guy that's charged with, with uh, enforcement of football. Right. We know Vic Denardi. We met him when we were at the NCA. That's right. right. Great guy. Very good guy. And and I know Vic Denardi. And he's charged with investigating this, and he was given evidence. He has photos. He has, I mean, there's receipts, right? There's, there's pictures. There's tweets. There's emails. This is some really serious stuff spread out over a long period of time. I don't know what Arizona State's going to, to do at this point, yeah. other than investigate it and have some problems. So basically, here's what we know. Now, all of these are allegations, right? We, we got to make sure that we start out talking about this, that, that these are just allegations yeah. at this point. Yeah, nothing, they haven't been N- Nothing has been confirmed. This yeah. is just what's being reported. So basically, what it comes down to is there was a lot of recru- actual recruiting going on during the dead period. Now, it wasn't just that. From, from some of the things that I've read, they had at least 30... <clears throat> at least 30 recruits at a game in a private suite that would then accidentally, in quotations, bump into the coaches in the hall and the stairwell. And so they were bumping into Herm Edwards and the other coaches there at Arizona State. On top of that, they were having both, both uh, uh, actual, co- you know, actual visits uh, and non, non, what are they, they're, they're yeah, so uh, official visits. Official visits and, and unofficial, unofficial visits mm-hmm. at Arizona State during the pandemic, also not allowed right. during the dead period. Yeah. And so there was a lot of this stuff going on, and they have proof and evidence that these things are, were happening. So let's talk about the first allegation. So the first allegation that I read, which is kind of the biggest one, was they had up to 30 recruits in a private suite at a football game that then would accidentally bump into these head coaches and the and head coach and the other coaches in the hallway and in the stairwells. So what do you see wrong with that? Yeah, so the first thing is, is during a football game, you're not allowed to uh, all, I mean, what, what you're not allowed to do is have recruits sit in anywhere that's sort of private, reserved, a suite. It needs to be general public seating. An area that's kind of roped off in general seating, or those are where our recruits sit. Well, now I've seen recruits that are down on the field. Is that okay? You can do that pre-game only. Okay. And you'll notice they'll sweep them as the game starts. Otherwise, it's special seating. Special seating, special access is a, is an inducement, which is a violation. So you'll have the recruits go down the field. They'll sweep them. We used to do that at USC. We would have uh, sometimes thousands of recruits. Uh, all kind of roped off in this massive angle on the on the field, and then my job, one of my jobs, was I'd have this massive rope, and I'd have several security guards flanking me, and then I would kind of give the circle of let's wrap it up, 
and the, the, the um, fireworks would start, the team would run out, and I would wrap it up. And we would get everybody escorted off the field so they don't have special access seating. So you can't put them in a suite. You can't have them on the field. You can't have them in a press box. You can't have anything like that. They're just in general seating. So the first problem is you got recruits during a game in an area they're not supposed to be. That alone is an inducement, even if it wasn't. So that different. alone is a problem. Yes. But then what about – I mean, we've kind of talked about this, right? Because I feel like we had mm. – we talked about it with, I can't remember what school, but there was a school, I think it was Tennessee maybe, that had kids accidentally bump. Oh, no, it was UConn. Had kids that accidentally would bump into like a UConn player, a former UConn yep. player. Yep. And, and um, I think, I can't remember who it was, but, but I, th- was, I remember the school was UConn. Yep. So what about that? Like in the recruiting dead period, accidentally bumping into coaches, because if you're on an unofficial visit and it just so happens that you yep. see the coach, the coach can shake their hands, right? We've talked about that and say, hey, you know, hey, good to see you. I can't talk to you right now. It's a dead period, but I wish you best of luck. We'll talk soon. That's exactly right. Right? Yeah, yeah. But if you have these actual meetings, then it, then it's a problem, right? It's a problem, yeah. And it's kind of all about intent, right? Like if you're, um, you know, Spencer Kelly, you're at BYU and you're a, women, or you're a swimming uh, recruit and you're on an unofficial visit during a dead period, you can't have an unofficial visit. But if, you, if it's one of those things where you're just walking around campus on your own and you're not part of anything athletic and you come around a corner and there's a coach there, the coach doesn't have to run from you or have it be weird. The NCAA doesn't want you to do that. They want you to say, oh, hey, Spencer, how's it going? And they can give you a quick shake. Hey, it's, it's a dead period. You know, unfortunately, I can't talk to you right now. I can't pose for any pictures or anything like that. But I, good to see you. I got to keep on going and we'll talk. We'll follow up later. The NCAA is okay with that. Right. If you pose for a picture, you stop and have a conversation, those are all contacts during that period, and that's a problem. Or if you orchestrate it. If it's like, hey, coach, I'm gonna have you, I know that they're on campus today. I'm going to have you walk around this corner. You're, if you start orchestrating things like that, problem. And that's where these things come out. And so, yeah, you're orchestrating impermissible contacts and bump-ins, impermissible unofficial visits, impermissible official visits, private seating for the student-athletes, and dead period violations. And guess what? One of the worst recruiting violations you can have is a dead period violation. They want to make it significant because they don't want coaches recruiting during certain periods. And when they say coaches, no recruiting, they mean no recruiting. And so if you're like, oh, we'll kind of – manufacture it no they're going to really hammer you here and this is structural it's widespread and there's hard evidence of it and so the i mean the nsa is on it the dogs are on it yeah and we and we also we've talked about in the past about official and unofficial visits but again like same kind of thing right like same kind of thing when those are happening during a recruiting dead period that's a that's a no-no yep yeah big time no-no and so and this is a pandemic uh, dead period of, of, of anything, right? And a lot of teams were really chomping at the bit, frustrated that they couldn't get kids on campus, couldn't see them. And if you find out your rival is just orchestrating this and doing it, and then guess what? Signing some of those kids up. And guess, Oregon State had a great it, yeah, recruiting class. The number 36 recruiting class. One of their highest year. in a long time. One of their highest in a long time. Yeah. And so, you know, so it's, it's so certainly... Surprise, surprise, right, right? It certainly looks fishy, right? It does. It looks fishy. They're, they're doing well. And what do you think this says for Herm Edwards? I heard they reached out to Herm Edwards, and he te- uh, it's been reported that he texted back, no comment, thanks, when asked about, how's this going on? So what do you think about Herm Edwards? I mean, what do you, if this turns out to all be true, that they've orchestrated these, these bumps, and they're recruiting dead periods, and unofficial and official visits, giving special access during games, and this all happened, and they did do it, what do you do with Arizona State? Yeah, I, so I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of those kids are going to be ineligible, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, and then the question is, so then the question is, does Herm Edwards get, get hit with a lack of institutional control? 
I think, right? yeah, that's the thing. We know the Arizona State guys, and I know they're fantastic. They're, we know the yeah, compliance they're guys. Awesome. They've been on the show. They've both been on the show. The guys that work with football day in and day out. And they've been in the business 10-plus years. They really know what they're doing. I've visited Arizona State when I was working at USC. I watched their recruit gate with them. I've been on the field at Arizona State with these guys. You know, I've, I've watched their processes, their protocols. Arizona State and USC worked hand-in-hand on a lot of things. So we were a really close-knit group. Um, but things have obviously spiraled out of control and gotten to where things are ugly. And so, yeah, you can get a failure to monitor. Maybe it's like, why didn't you know those recruits were up in this lounge? Didn't you go look? I mean... Or why didn't you know this or that was going on? Or, or failure to monitor that, that or lack of institutional control, meaning you just can't control any of your coaches. Maybe you were monitoring properly, but all your coaches are not following the rules. That's kind of on you. It's not one rogue coach. Right. So, so yeah, as far as what Herm Edwards, I mean, I think a little bit of the shine is off Herm Edwards, if, this, mm-hmm. if these allegations are true. Yeah. You know, Herm Edwards went in there to Arizona State and said, I'm setting this up as a pro we're going to set this up as a pro, you know, group. We're going to we're going to act like the NFL. Yeah. We're going to get kids who want to get to the NFL to come here. I'm going to get you there. Yeah. Right. And 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 I there was a lot of kids that went there. I know BYU lost a couple of stud linebackers that we wanted that that ended up going to Arizona State over BYU because Herm Edwards was like, "Come here, we'll get you to the NFL." Right. And that hurts BYU. That hurts BYU. So, but then if we find out that they've been cheating on the back end, it's like, oh boy. And Anyways, you guys play. BYU plays Arizona State. We play Arizona in a state. So that, that was my next question. What type of penalties could, the, could these, both the kids that, let's say, were recruited and maybe in, during this dead period and then also signed with the program, what's their situation? And then what's the situation for the coaches? Yeah, so the kids, it's going to be complicated because they've received inducements, right? So they've, made, they've deemed themselves ineligible. So they're going to be deemed immediately ineligible, and they're going to have to get reinstated by the NCAA. It's not guaranteed they'll be reinstated. The Arizona State's going to have to file a waiver to get them reinstated. Say, mea culpa, we didn't know, the kids didn't know, don't hold it against them, and they're going to have to repay those benefits to a charity of their choice. Um, now, it kind of depends. I mean, if the kid's fully new and they have, you have text messages where the kid's like, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I want that Tesla, I need you to pay me, the NCAA's not going to be very favorable for that. Right. You know? But if it looks like they just took advantage of some kids, maybe they're going to say, okay, fine, deem them ineligible. They're going to have to miss 30% of contests. They're going to miss four games, six games, something like that. It's going to hurt the, them on the field. It's going to hurt them recruiting for the next couple of years. They might get a postseason ban or two. And then coaches, for them, they can get fired. They can get show cause orders. You know, Because you can if, they, if they've done their due diligence and they hired their attorneys that they were supposed to hire – and, um, you know, let's say West Virginia Green, our law firm, was, was <laughs> representing them, right? Right. And, um, and we, we would have drafted up coaches' contracts that had the ability to terminate the contract if they knowingly violated an NCAA rule. Right. And we could say, hey, guys, you knowingly violated this rule. You knew it was a rule. You were sneaking. Your text messages said, don't tell anybody. You knew this was wrong. We're going to void your $4 million two-year contract. And you're done, and then you get a three-year show cause order. Another school's going to have to show cause to the NCAA why they need to hire you over somebody else and overcome that boundary. If they can't, you're not going to be able to get hired uh, at that school and be accountable coach. Um, so that, those are the problems. So people getting fired, losing their job, losing their career. Uh, Arizona State's going to get hit with all kinds of things. A lot of this stuff goes at the heart of amateurism, right? The whole point of a lot of these recruiting rules is to prevent this kind of crap. And Arizona State has a very senior compliance office and a, and a coaches that have been around for a long, long time. So right. they know these rules. Right. And uh, they were trying to get an advantage. Arizona State, by some some means, were picked to win the South and maybe meet Oregon. The, and they were really on the rise. They were going to start out the year ranked. 
They were a hot shot team. This is going to throw a dark, dark cloud over Arizona State. Uh, yeah, so I, I just feel like this is this is not good. I mean, you know, potentially it could be good for BYU. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know, good for USC too, right? Good for USC. Yeah. Both of our programs play this school right. next year, USC and BYU. And I don't mind beating them now. We don't, we don't want a team that gets proven to have cheated to be winning. Would you want Arizona State to appeal this and then win the Pac-12 championship? Would no, you feel good it, for them? No, him? I wouldn't at all. But, but that's what, you know, Oklahoma State did that last year in basketball. Yeah. Right? Oklahoma like State it. had this, you know, Kate Cunningham was an incredible player. And he was incredible, right? I mean, it just he could take over a game. But they made it to the NCAA tournament because – they had initially been ruled ineligible for that year, but they appealed it. And so while it was in appeal, and while it's going to be continuing to be appealed, it, they're, they're, they were deemed eligible and were able to play in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So yeah, anyways, it, it, it's, just, it's just kind of, it is what it is. So I wouldn't be surprised if really football isn't really hurt by it this season, but they could be hurt next season. Yeah, and Vic Denardi's on it. And Vic Denardi is, yeah, NCAA enforcement for football. And, and when he's on it, it's a problem. Right. So Arizona State, the dogs are on. I mean, they're a juicy rib bone, Spencer. And Ooh, the Denard is hungry. A, he's a hungry pit bull, <laughs> and he's ready. He's a very fair guy. He's going to go through the process. He's going to check it out. But if you're, I mean, if you're given something, Spence, and you see it in black and white, you see photographs of kids during the game. You see text messages. Um, you see all this evidence. You have witness statements, and you have flights and and receipts, and that's presented to you. That's hard to look past that and go. Well, maybe this is all wrong. Right, right. Right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we'll keep we'll, an eye yeah. on it, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I think it's really going to be a big deal, and, and uh, you know, hope, hopefully everything gets ironed out, right? Yeah, it's one of the biggest stories of the whole NCAA right now, and so we'll find out. Okay, here we are. This is AP and Spence. Two lawyers talking college sports and sports law in general. And we're going to the phones right now. Who we got on the phones, AP? Yeah, I got a friend of the show, Justin Detola, Director of Compliance at Syracuse University. Could we say best friend of the show? Best friend of the show. He's yeah, been on uh, several times. He does a great <laughs> job for us. He always has a, a good insight, good takes, good knowledge, well-respected. So it's a great person that, to get on the, the show whenever we can get him. And uh, I know we've been talking, uh, Spencer, about... Uh, football recruiting, camps, official visits, that kind of thing. And I thought, gosh, talking to Justin Detola would be probably really helpful to kind of explain. Because there's been a, a few nuances. We're kind of returning to some of this after a year off with COVID. And so, first of all, Justin, uh, thank you so much for being back on the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm good. Aaron, Spencer, good to, good to hear from you guys. Thank you for the kind words. I enjoy being the, the official recurring guest of the show. Uh, <laughs> but no, everything's good. It's been a very busy June thus far, but, uh, you know, we're getting through it and getting back to normal, and it's, uh, it's a nice sign of uh, what's to come moving forward. So everything's good over here. Yeah, so, so now because the dead period's lifted, you can have official visits and unofficial visits for football right now, right? Is that right? Yeah, so for NCAA rules, yes. I know each campus and each state kind of has different travel restrictions, and I think most of those are getting lifted, but um, the NCAA... Uh, COVID-19 dead period ended on June 1st, and that was the first day coaches could work uh, recruiting camps, host camps, um, host unofficial visits, uh, host official visits, and then really go recruit off campus, whether it's at, uh, you know, for your Olympic sports and those that can recruit off campus during the summer, you're going to tournaments, you're going to all kinds of different games and, and camps to go recruit at. So 
every uh, every coach that we had here hit it hard, and it's been uh, it's been a very busy summer. Wow. So okay. So yeah. So the last fourteen days have probably been just a madhouse of trying to figure all this out. Um, are, are you guys at Syracuse? Are you guys doing football camps? And if so, is it more institutional, un- uh, non institutional? Uh, that's a great question. So um, in football, uh, SBS, that is, you're allowed to work uh, 10 total days, so camps of 10 total days. So if you wanted to work 10 straight days or you want to space those out uh, in the month of June and July, there's a, a little two to three-week dead period from the end of June to uh, sort of that third week in July. But you can only, you can only work camps on 10 designated days. Right. And then if you want, you can send staff all around the country and work non-institutional camps um, on those days. And it still counts as one day of working at a camp. Um, so a lot of what we're doing here at Syracuse is we are hitting the recruiting trail um, and we are working at non-institutional camps. So a camp hosted by another NCAA uh, institution. So we're doing a lot of that. And then due to our campus restrictions, and the state restrictions as they relate to COVID-19, we're only hosting, as of right now, potentially uh, one institutional camp, and that'll be late in July. Gotcha. And so, okay, I I noticed, uh, just for the listeners that don't know, so let's say you wanted to host a non-institutional camp at a junior college. Could you do that? So it depends. Um, The football rules are a little bit different, and the Division I rules are broken down into two categories. One is FBS, so your football bowl subdivision. So those are your Power 5 schools and your non-Power 5 schools that, that are able to go play in bowl games at the end of the year. And then you have your FCS division, which is the football championship series, which is sort of that rung right below. So for those old school individuals that understand the 1A versus 1AA, FCS is now what 1AA used to be, right? So in FCS, in order for a camp to be considered institutional, so like let's say Syracuse, for example, in order for us to have an institutional camp, it has to be on Syracuse's university or at a regularly used facility, right? Now, and that's the same. If we want to go work at, let's say, you know, since I used to work at UCLA, let's say if we wanted to go work at a UCLA camp, the UCLA camp would have to be held on UCLA's campus or a regular use, regularly used facility, which could be like the Rose Bowl for that. Um, and then for the, the SCS division, the difference there is that the camp has to be held within the state that the institution is located. So if a, an SCS institution wanted to host a camp at a two-year college, I mean, they could make that work, but that's something that we couldn't host. We could work at, but we couldn't host because we're in that SCS category. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It gets tricky. I, you know, and then, so, okay. So if you're, you have basically 10 calendar days to either host an institutional camp or go work a non-institutional. So if you have your 10 days out and then some coach on an 11th day goes out and works some non-institutional camp, you guys have a problem, right? That is correct. Yes, that is uh, hence why we do all the paperwork and, and kind of get the plan uh, a month ahead of time. Now, this was kind of an interesting year because we didn't find out until you know early May that the dead period was going to end. Uh, and then we also didn't know what any restrictions might be, right? So typically, um, in, in my previous years, we've had a, a plan for what we're going to do camps-wise, really mid-April, beginning of May. This year, we didn't really have that plan until mid-May and almost that third week in May. So <laughs> everything was just kind of backed up, and it was, you know, it was 
pretty chaotic there for a little bit, but I mean, that's why we make sure we have that plan ahead of time so that we are making sure that if it's at an FCS school, it does meet the FCS rules. And then if it's at an FCS school, it meets the FCS rules as well. Right. I mean, for the most part, if it's going to be at one of those schools or an FCS or FBS school, you want to, you would hope that their compliance folks at, at those schools would make sure it meets all the rules as well. But as you know, we got to make sure we document everything and do it the right way here. So when we send our coaches out, we know that, uh, you know, there's no issues there and it's been documented beforehand. Are you in communication with the compliance officers at the other schools prior to sending your coaches to those camps? Or do you just, just send them hope that they're, and do you do the research yourself, I guess would be the, the other alternative. No, great question. I mean, I, I think everyone does it a little bit differently. Um, I have all of our coaches fill out a non-institutional camp form um, that basically has all the check boxes, right? They make it super easy on them. It's a one pager. Um, and what I do is I have them send that to the camp director, which is typically a director of operations or a director of personnel at the other school so that they can sign off on it and make sure that it does meet all of those rules, right? Then I'll have to do my research and check the website, check the camp advertisements, and just make sure that it does meet all the NCAA-specific guidelines. If we don't hear back, or sometimes, you know, uh, football coaches or football staff might not be uh, the best at getting back to you or staying on top of documentation right away. So uh, I do have a lot of colleagues across the country. So, you know, if it's somebody I know, I'm more than willing to reach out to them to kind of help take that off of my football staff's plate. Uh, but even if it's someone I don't know, I mean, as long as we get it documented beforehand, the way I do it is our policy is we have to require pre-approval before they can go. And again, like, yeah, you want to trust the fact that the schools that they're going to are, are going to do things by the book. But uh, unfortunately, when it comes to NCA rules, if something were to ever happen, you can't really kind of, you know, try to defend that position of, well, we trusted the other schools to the committee on infractions. They don't, uh, they, they wouldn't really take too kindly to that. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a lot of this uh, conversation is giving me flashbacks to my time at USC and Oregon State where I worked <laughs> with football and and how kind of weird the camp area would be. I mean, I would have trouble with advertisements even where, you know, they would sometimes maybe try to get a little cute and they'd want to put open to any and all language, which I know that has to at least when I was working in compliance had to be on the advertisement. In kind of a conspicuous manner, but they would try to get cute with it where they would have it so blended in you really couldn't barely see it, you know, or, or they would have multiple schools there and they would want all of the logos to be real prominent. And we always had that kind of fight of, well, no, if we're hosting, let's make our logo prominent. And then just some other, you know, uh, schools are working there. Do you go in, are you guys still kind of going through those camp advertisements and vetting that sort of stuff out today? Yeah. I mean, as part of the, I mean, I am as part of the, the NCAA manual. I mean, really the advertisements and the rules on camp ads and how it has to be open to any and all hasn't changed. It's more that they took really the, the ownership away from third parties. And now basically an institution has to be able to own a camp in order for it to meet the NCAA rules for, in the football space, right? So yeah. they kind of took away that, that seven on seven team or that club coach or that two-year college coach from hosting a camp. Uh, and they really made it be more of an institutional space than sort of that third party space. But, Everything else as far as registration, advertising, um, flyers, brochures, all of that is still the same as when you were in it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how that kind of stays the same. And, and now when I was there, you know, we, we'd, I'd have to look at the itinerary of a camp. 
And we'd have to make sure that there was, it was sort of, um, each group had a consistent uh, experience. You know, you couldn't pull one kid aside and say, you know, hey, this quarterback we're recruiting, we want to give him a one-on-one workout and just work him out and everybody else is just doing the camp itinerary. It had to kind of just flow and all be part of the same. Otherwise, it was a kind of an impermissible tryout, you know. And so we spent a lot of time on that. But it sounds like maybe some of the rules have kind of relaxed in that space. Is that right? Uh, I mean, yes and no, right? I think that's always left up for interpretation, right? I think uh, the way the rules work is that a camp has to be designed for, you know, three specific components, right? And it's like providing knowledge of the sport, uh, teaching the fundamentals, and then the third part is like skills and, and things like that, right? It can't just be devoted to competition. So you can't just have a camp that is all designed for, you know, seven-on-seven seven games. So let's say you have, you know, basically your skill positions at a camp. You can't just run a seven-on-seven seven tournament as part of a camp. There has to be a an instructional component to it. So I always get itineraries, and, and there's no – rule or requirement that you have to hit like you know a half an hour or an hour or a certain percentage of time to provide instruction you know it's all left up to interpretation but it just can't be designed to be a combine or to be like a competitive tournament um it has to actually be a camp since that's what the definition of a camp is is to teach the sport yeah, and I noticed sometimes uh, kids will get an award, right? They'll get a, they're the MVP of the camp. or And I, I would spend some time at USC at least, and, and we wanted it to be objective criteria, not best smile or good attitude. But we wanted it to be, you know, some objective criteria. Most likely to commit to USC. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, most, yeah. most talent. would love to give that award out, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And we had to kind of bake the award into the total cost of the camp. Is that rule still kind of the same where, you know, if everybody's paying 20 bucks to go to the camp, a couple of kids could get a, a camp award that's maybe valued at 40 because it's kind of baked into the total fees? Or, or, or does that still kind of work the same? Yeah, I mean, it's still the same. Uh, there's the same rule that says you have to charge the same amount of everybody unless you have a, uh, a discount or free or reduced admission. Like, let's say a lot of times uh, the free or reduced admission is because it's a coach's son uh, or it's a staff member's kid. Like, you know, that's really the only way you can give a discount. You can't give a discount because of athletic ability. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't charge a cent to our commits or our, uh, our top targets, right? So, again, open any and all. Any award that's given out has to be included in the cost of the camp, and you can't give a discount based on athletic ability. I mean, those are three pretty big criteria of, of how you are criteria of how you have to set the camp up. Yeah, and and now, so are on campus evaluations allowed in football now? Yeah, so that's been the biggest recruiting change. I mean, between that and being able to uh, place additional phone calls and have more recruiting interaction with juniors. Uh, has been the, the the brand new topic in football. So beginning June 1, and uh, they kind of adopted this based on what basketball did, right? So in basketball, they were the only sport that was able to do a, a quote-unquote tryout on campus, right? Um, it's called an on-campus evaluation. It's essentially a one-hour workout is what you get with them. Um, so in football, that started June 1, and it can be for a junior or senior in high school, a four-year transfer or a two-year college transfer, right? I mean, obviously there's some other things that they have to be in the portal if they're a transfer or they're a two-year uh, uh, two-year transfer. They have to finish their first year at the, the JC or the two-year college if they were an qualifier, right? But what we get now is you get one hour to work with a potential transfer or junior senior in high school um, to kind of, you know, 
evaluate their athletic ability. Um, and, and it's essentially a tryout. And uh, it's interesting. You know, it's, uh, it's a brand new space for us. I, I don't know. You know, we've talked about it for a while, doing it in football. And then all of a sudden, I mean, a month, two months before the dead period ended, it was just kind of launched out there. We were all kind of sitting there like, okay, this is interesting. How, you know, how are we going to do this? So, you know, we, we formulated a good plan uh, with our recruiting staff and our coaches. And, I mean, there's a lot of components that go into the on-campus evaluation space of, okay, well, you need unofficial visit information. So we have a form for that. You need release of liability. You need to uh, provide uh, a physical has been done because you have to make sure that they're physically able to participate in the workout. Um, there's COVID-19 protocols and requirements. So, of course, as uh, you guys can imagine, a lot of that uh, responsibility has, has fallen under the compliance arm. So we, uh, we, I think I'm collecting like 10 documents for, for each on-campus evaluation. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, our coaches are, are big fans of it. Um, you know, it's nice to be able to kind of run them through uh, some drills and uh, essentially a mini workout just to see, you know, can they handle this the stage of being at Syracuse or are they qualified athletically uh, to come play football at Syracuse? So from what I've heard from our coaches and at least from my colleagues across the country, it's been, been a very you know positive feedback and a very productive thing. Yeah, can it be part of an unofficial or official visit, or is it like its own entity where they are coming specifically for that? So, it's, I mean, it can be part of both, right? Like an unofficial visit is, I mean, if you were going to do an on-campus evaluation and we didn't pay for it, I mean, essentially that's an unofficial visit to the campus already, right? So uh, it could be during an unofficial. All of ours have been during an unofficial visit thus far. Um, and then you can do it during an official visit as well. But, you know, if you're the coaching staff or the recruiting staff, is it worth it to sacrifice an hour of the actual workout and, you know, any kind of medical exam time, any other time to, you know, get dressed and shower up before and after, is it worth sacrificing that, that time out of the 40 hour, 48 hours allotted for an official visit, right? That's, that's why they get paid the big bucks. So that's, that's up to them. But, um, you know, I think each school is doing it differently. Um, but for right now, we've only done it during unofficials, but the rule says you can do it either way. Interesting. And so, and then this is separate from camps, right? So it's not like because of this rule, now you can have individualized workouts at camps and they just think, oh, well, now we can just get the couple of kids we're recruiting, do some one-on-one with them for an hour and everybody else. That's separate, right? That's a separate rule? Right. It's a completely separate space. So on-campus evaluations are one-offs and um, you can't do them together, right? I mean, you can do multiple on-campus evaluations during the same allotted time, but you can't have them like you can't have a wide receiver and a defensive back and then have them do drills together or run routes against the defensive back. It has to be solely individual, um, but they can happen at the same time on the same on the same field. It just has to be a completely separate workout. But, yeah, they are separate from from the camp space. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, good. So it sounds like you know, recruiting's happening, unofficial official visits. We got this kind of uh, on-campus evaluation limited to an hour. Um, camps are back going. We learned a little bit about non-institutional camps, Spencer, and, and institutional camps and the 10 dates that you can get, and you got some dead periods in there. Uh, J- Justin, that's a lot right there. A- any other uh, new rules uh, for this summer as far as recruiting goes for football that you're aware of? Not in the football space. I mean, you know, really the on-campus evaluation is the biggest one. Um, phone calls have now changed with juniors. It used to be that you could only have a phone call, uh, one phone call between April 15th and May 31st, which was the, the spring evaluation period. Um, now you can place phone calls 
uh, beginning April 15th, really until they're out of high school. So it's nice that they finally opened that up, given the fact that you could text them but not call them, right? Um, we're, we're in a space where we're trying to modernize some of the rules that have been in the, the manual for, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, I'm hoping that we can kind of use this, you know, COVID dead period as a way that gave us a few exceptions that, you know, maybe we looked at before as being, I don't know, a little bit cautious on, and maybe we, we saw how COVID kind of allowed us to try things out and will help us kind of move forward, modernizing some of the rules that, that have been in the manual for so long. So I think we're in a really good, a really good place right now, compliance wise and specifically football wise, where we can kind of use some of these things that we've been trying to kind of install permanently to kind of modernize what we're doing in the recruiting space. Yeah. That, I mean, well, speaking about modernized, uh, what do you, I mean, what do you make of these new NIL rules that, that they're being proposed? I know that's a complete shift in what we've been talking about, but that's a real hot button issue <laughs> right a, now, obviously. That's a loaded question, Spence. Yeah. That's a very loaded question. <laughs> well, now. that's all I ask. Uh, I only yeah. ask loaded questions, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've learned. I've learned. Uh, you know, the, the whole, like, maybe image and likeness topic right now, I mean, they had that, the Senate committee meeting last week, and we got to see individuals who have a large influence in that space, you know, give their take, and whether it was, I think, uh, Coach View from Gonzaga, right. and then we also had, obviously, the, the, the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Uh, I mean, it was a, that was a huge day, and I kind of had it on in my office. The interesting thing for us here in the state of New York is we don't currently have a bill that's passed. Now, I've heard they're trying to get something passed by the end of this week so that it can be effective july 1 just like i think there's eight other states who have a july 1 effective date and the interesting thing is i mean i think we all understand how fast or how not so fast the mca moves with having proposals passing them and then making them effective so it'll be very interesting to see what happens july 1 when for example in florida the state will legally allow student athletes to make money off of their name image and likeness our schools are going to say Hey, no, we have to follow the NCA rules, or they're going to, you know, be on the opposite side and say, well, the state's got our back. So, hey, we're going to tell our students they can do all that stuff. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, again, we still don't know what the NCAA guidelines are going to be, uh, whether or not institutions could be involved, what limitations there are. There's, there's proposals out there that were tabled a couple months ago, but we just, I mean, we have no way of knowing until. The NCA is hopefully um, working on getting the uh, getting a federal lottery passed, but until then, it's just it's such an interesting. I, I, I've never seen anything like this before in my career, where you have state and federal laws going against NCAA rules. I mean, it's a fascinating topic. It's a fascinating thing that's happening this summer. So we will see. Um, but yeah, it's very very interesting. We don't nobody really has any answers until you know, a rule is announced or a law is announced or NCAA rule is announced, right? So we're all kind of just, at least for me, I'm sitting on my hands waiting for a decision to be made. Yeah, I mean, could the NCAA say to those schools and those states, uh, you still have to adhere to our rules, right? Mm -hmm. Until we pass the rule. And then that, that kind of puts the state, you know, the schools in Florida or, or wherever else kind of at a, you know, they have to kind of hold. Like, is that a possibility? It is. I mean, look at, um, you know, the, the topic that I related to is marijuana, right? Marijuana has been legalized in a lot of different states. 
whether it's California or Colorado or you name it, right? But it's still on the NCAA's list of banned substances, right? Sure, if you go to school in California and you smoke marijuana, legally, state-wise, you can do that, right? That is your right. But if you want to play college sports, there's an additional requirement that says you can't because if you test positive, you'll be ineligible, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a, a similarity to where the state laws kind of conflict with the NCAA rules. And look, when you sign up to play NCAA Division One college sports or NCAA sports, you agree or you understand that you're going to abide by their rules, otherwise you can't play, right? So the NCAA can definitely do that. Um, you know, the NCAA is not in a, a great position right now because they need as many P, PR wins as possible. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the next steps are from them. Yeah, I've always thought, you know, I mean, because really the NCAA could just take a hard line on some, if it was just a couple of states and said, yeah, it's great they passed these rules, but the NCAA rules are not going to allow that. And so if you want to be a member of the NCAA institution, you can't do it. But I think the fear is once this starts becoming law and rolling and other states are adopting, it's it's going to move fast. And then, then it doesn't look good if the NCAA is holding maybe something back that like half the states are allowing and it comes to compensation. It can get a little probably a little dicey. Um, it'd be interesting to see. I can't wait, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm nervous about it. Honestly, uh, Justin, from a compliance perspective, I just think compliance offices are going to have a big burden on monitoring some of that stuff. And if it's a legitimate, uh, you know, business that they're promoting, or are they really doing something under the table for some booster? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I see some concerns out there. Uh, honestly. Oh, big time. I mean, again, that's what I was saying earlier. Like I'm, I'm grateful that as of right now, New York doesn't have a state law, but I already know that there are uh, coaches at other schools who are already using it as a recruiting tactic, right? Um, There's also a lot of individuals who are starting their own companies. I mean, these entrepreneurs, uh, they're creating companies that are looking at benefiting student-athletes, whether or not they're going to try to be purchased by student-athletes or institutions, but... You know, I've been meeting with people in the last five months who have kind of pitched ideas to us. Um, and that, that brings up another topic. Are our compliance staff going to, uh, you know, add an additional person whose sole responsibility is an image and likeness? Or are they going to hire a consultant or uh, purchase like a third-party software system just like we all do with recruiting to handle that? So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns moving forward. And on such a serious topic that's really been on the forefront of, of NCAA sports for the last 10 years. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what stance the NCAA takes and kind of how things move forward. One thing I did notice is that uh, Stanford actually opened a job, I believe, a year or excuse me, a, a week or a week and a half ago, specifically for name, image, and likeness. That's the first one I think I've seen since this whole discussion got started. Yeah, I've been wondering about that because I mean, imagine I mean, this is just going to be an onslaught for a while of stuff and contracts and agreements and how how dicey it can get. You know, with well, who are you promoting and for what company and what are you getting paid? And I, it, yeah, I can see this being almost like eligibility or or some other like area that's just like super busy at least for a while. And maybe it'll slow down after three or four years, but. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for compliance offices. I predict for a few years, and you're gonna have I can just foresee it. You know, down in Los Angeles, you're gonna have some dude that's like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna set up an ABC company, and I'm gonna hire all the football players at USC and UCLA, and uh, curry favor with them, and pay them twenty bucks an hour to do whatever for my company. It's really kind of a Ponzi scheme of sorts. 
and then he gets in good with the football staff and he's getting money funneled to him. You know what I mean? Like there's just going to be some of that stuff. And I, I don't, I don't want to see that. I want to see the purpose of it is to help student athletes use their name, image and likeness to make money legitimately, you know, and it's not for a recruiting purpose, but I don't know how that's going to happen, but we'll see Spence. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, that's the only thing we can do. We just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, we'll just wait and see how it shakes out. But, well, Justin, uh, man, thank you so much for your insight today. You gave us a lot of knowledge, like usual, uh, camps and and, uh, dead periods and and name, image, and likeness. We sprung on you there a little bit and and, uh, recruiting and on-campus evals and we're learning all the late breaking stuff uh, for for from an, a master of it that's been in it forever. So you've been it all over the place and done a great job. So I really appreciate it, and hopefully we can touch base with you again down the road. And uh, we wish you all the best and uh, good luck with these uh, this June recruiting period, man. Hey, I appreciate that, guys. Uh, very kind words, and I, I appreciate all of that. I love being a part of uh, the, the the podcast and helping you guys out. It's always a pleasure. Um, yeah, it's been probably the the busiest June I've had in the last 10 years. But uh, like I said, it's, it's nice to get back to normalcy and kind of see that we can get back to a regular routine in summer. So I appreciate wishing the well wishes and wishing me luck. Uh, you know, it's only 14 days in June. It feels like it's been three months already, but <laughs> oh, we'll get through it. We'll be all right on here. But no, I appreciate that, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely, man. Take okay. it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I, I mean, I really, I really think that we can call Detola the best friend of the show, right? Yeah, he's he's great because he always just can jump on at the last minute, and he always is in the know. He works with football. He knows men's basketball. He's been in the industry a decade. He knows a bunch of people. You know, he's a well-spoken guy. Has a lot of takes on a lot of different things. Does a good job for the podcast. So it, it's a good guy to kind of just reach out. And he heads up Syracuse, right? right. I mean, this is so. This isn't like just. Anybody. This is, and we're not trying to do bias. Like, oh, we're talking to somebody from Portland State. No, we're going across the country to New York. We're That's worldwide right. here, Spencer. That's right. That's right. We just had a new listener in the Netherlands. How about that? In the Netherlands, yeah, right? And Netherlands. that's not the only foreign. That's not the only other country. We have over 30 countries that have listened to us. Yeah, yeah. verified listeners over 30 countries. Yeah. And so, most of the states, right? Almost all the states, yeah. We still need Maine. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're living in Maine, you let us know, okay? Yeah, get Because we got to know that we want a verified listener in Maine, all right? Absolutely. <laughs> Maine, Maine, Maine it happened. Right? Like how I did that? Maybe it didn't happen. That's horrible, that joke. Yeah, it was pretty bad. (laughs) Well, it is Father's Day weekend. (laughs) Um, Okay, so before we close out the show, last week we both chose some teams in the NBA Finals. I chose the Jazz in the West and the Bucks in the East. You chose? Uh, I chose the Suns. And then I chose the Hawks in the East. Okay. Both are alive. So all four of our teams are still alive. Um, you know, glad uh, glad neither one of us chose the Nuggets because they did not look good. No, but um, we'll see. The Jazz and the Hawks, I believe. No, the Hawks are up three two, right? Yeah, ha- uh, yeah. So I think that's right. That's right. The yep. Hawks are up three two. So the Hawks could close it out tonight and then go forward. The Bucks and the Nets are in Game Seven, uh-huh. uh, which is played tomorrow. Yeah. And um, and then the Jazz are down. Two to they're down two to three right now. So, but Leonard's hurt. Leonard's hurt and and is out for the rest of the series at least. So, yeah. so we'll see. I we, I need the Jazz to win tonight to keep my. Have the West Jazz Coast. lost three in a row? 
they lost three in a row. Oh, man. So almost the same thing that happened the first series is happening again, where yeah. in the first series, the, the Clippers lost the first two games at home, then won the next two games at the Mavs, then lost game five at home, and then won two games to win out the series. So we'll see what happens. This Tonight is a huge night for the Jazz. I mean, they, 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 their offense just looked pitiful in their last game. They just couldn't move the ball. They barely, they only shot threes and layups. It was just like, and they weren't, anyways. So we'll see what happens. But hopefully yeah. they play better. And, uh, the, I mean, the Clippers were just dogs. They just were oh. like, they were like, okay, you want to, we're going to beat you by being physical and by scoring. And Paul George played out of his mind. And anyways, it was a great, it was a good game, but it was frustrating if you're a Jazz fan. Yeah, and I don't, honestly, I, personally, I don't want to see the Clippers win this. I really don't. I don't know. You wouldn't j- want a Clippers-Nets final? I no. feel like that's what ESPN and the Talking Heads oh, want. Oh, of course. And somehow it's going to be L.A., New York, Kauai. It's going to be all the stars, right? And that's exactly what they want. But, no, I would love to see a Jazz-Hawks finals. Give me a Suns-76ers finals. If it's Clippers, Brooklyn, L.A., New York, and all of the stars, I might tune into a part of a game or two. I'm not going to be happy with that. Yeah. Are you? Uh, no. No, I wouldn't be. But I think it's going to be tough for anybody to beat the Suns. I mean, yeah. Aiton is playing out of his mind. Booker is a star. Chris Paul is playing the best basketball he's played in years. What happened to Chris Paul? Is he in some kind of health protocol? He was, yeah, so he got – so, yeah, it's interesting you bring it up. So he got, he got exposed to someone who had COVID. So he's in he's in protocol to make sure that he doesn't have a positive finding, and I think he has to wait like seven days or something like that. So so the longer that the Jazz Clippers games go, the more likely it is that he'll be able to play in the in the yeah. Western Conference Finals. My prediction is Jazz are going to find a way to at least force a game seven with Kawhi out. See what happens in game seven. I have the Jazz maybe winning this. All right, four to three. That's what I hope happens too. Yeah. I, I'd yeah. love to see the Jazz Suns. I think that's that would be a really fun and exciting matchup. I think because you've got Gobert and, and Aiton, and then you've got shooters on both teams. It could be a high scoring games, uh, and not a lot of defense, but still really good. And then I hope it's the Bucks and the Hawks. I think that would be super fun in the East. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, the Bucks are coming alive. They're doing a lot. What do you think about? So the Bucks could be pretty good. We're both alive. What do you think about this Blazers coaching search? Yeah, we'll see. I I don't know. I mean, a lot of names, a lot of different names have been thrown around. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen uh, Jason Kidd, like, you know, took his name out of the running. Um, supposedly, Rick Carlisle said he won't come here because he doesn't want to follow Terry Stotts. Um, so those are the only names that I've heard that are, are not coming. Uh, and, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's uh, – I know Becky Hammond has been – Rumored to, yeah. to, to, to come here and be, maybe be the first head, female head coach of an NBA team. That'd be interesting, right? And then uh, part of that pop tree. Right. You know. Part of the, Greg Popovich. We'll see. So it'll be, yeah. it'll be interesting. Anybody you like of the names you've heard? You know, I like a lot of those names. I think, yeah, Becky Hammond would be interesting, first female coach. Although maybe that's risky in a sense of it's just never been done before. And is that, do you want to take that risk when you're really trying to win right now and, and you know, Lillard's like almost like gonna bolt if they don't do it. I'm not no no knock against her. I just she's never been a head coach before. Yeah. It's nothing to do with her being a woman or a man. I, I the, if somebody's taking the head coaching job for the first time, I think that's a tough spot to be in right now. Personally, uh, I'm not a big fan of Dan Tony. I think he's a good coach and he's taken people to the playoffs first round and second round. But it's kind of that run and gun no defense style, and I think the Blazers are trying to get away from that. So it wouldn't make sense to hire him. 
But, you know, I think Chauncey Billups would be a good hire. I think Spolstra would be a good hire. Um, maybe Rick Carlisle from the, the Mavs might be a good hire. Um, you know, you got to get somebody, I think, that's kind of a, a grinded out coach that's been a head coach for years and has maybe made the second or the third round of the playoffs. If we could get Spolstra, that'd be my number one choice. Yeah. And I think Chauncey Billis would be my number two. I really like, like we talked about, I really yeah. like him, liked him as a player. Yeah. I thought he was a very heady player. Yeah. You know, he hasn't been a head coach, but he has a lot of respect from the, from, yeah. from the kids, from the players, especially Damon Lillard, as they're both, they're both point guards, yeah. right? Yeah. So I would choose Spolstra number one, and then number two, Billups. What are your thoughts on Hammond? You know, I would, I, you know, it'd be, I, I do want her to get an opportunity to be a head coach. Of course, but I, I agree with you. I think coming into a situation where w- Blazers are wanting to win now, they're wanting to yep. win a championship now, yep. right? Not, and not, not, not in a couple of years, and yep. maybe she could do it. Maybe, maybe she yeah. would be incredible at it. But I agree. I think it should be. I think it would be better to have someone who either. Who is who is a who is either or either a prior head coach like yeah. a Spolstra yeah. or someone who played in the NBA and has the respect of the players already built in, right? Like like Chauncey Billups. Yeah, maybe she could take a rebuilding situation over and prove herself and become a head coach and be a fantastic winner. Yeah. It's really tough to come into that situation right now. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I I I, I do like the idea of. I do, and I do hope that she gets an opportunity. Yeah, I think and, she know, deserves it. Absolutely. Uh, right. That'd be cool. You know, I but, know Pop holds her in really high regard. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if she just stays with the Spurs and becomes the Spurs head coach when Pop retires. That might make sense. That, to me, makes the most sense. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe, I mean, Portland is the perfect, it's a progressive city. Yep. It's a, it's a very welcoming and open city. So maybe maybe Portland would be the perfect fit for her, right? And, yeah. and maybe they would have a little bit more patience if she doesn't win right away. But then again, she could win right away, and we could love her, right? So it could be. So you know, it's just you know, a risk factor. It, there is a risk. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you bring in Spolstra, you know what you're getting, right? Yeah, he's going to take the Blazers to the playoffs for sure next year. It's just how far can you take them, right? You know. So we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. But yeah. it's going to be an awesome weekend. Yeah. Happy Father's Day to you, sir. And to you, too. Yeah. You've got three kids. I've got two. We are fathers, and I love it. And we're gonna, I know we're going to be barbecuing and enjoying the sun and relaxing a little bit on Father's Day. How about love you? It. Yeah, we'll be playing some baseball. Baseball oh. tournament weekend this weekend. Another big one. It's going to be fun. So. You, have, you have baseball tonight? Uh, no baseball tonight. We've got some graduation parties going on yeah. tonight. And then graduation party tomorrow on top of two games of baseball. So it's going to be a busy weekend, but it's going to be awesome. And my cousin Adam Dieters is coming into town, so I'm really excited to have him come. I love it. So it's going to be fun. I love it. All right, everybody. Take care out there. See ya.